Well, good morning, everyone. Today is the day that the Lord has made. So let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hey, my name is Ryan. I'm lead pastor here at Peace Church. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, love to make that happen. Also want to say hello to those who are joining us online in one of our other venues. Good morning to you. Today, obviously, you already know it's fixing to be a good day. Curries are with us. We're going to hear about God doing work locally, globally. It's a good day to be in God's house. Amen? Amen. So I want to start off with a very basic question for Christians in the house. I want you to answer this in the quiet of your own heart. Not looking for you to raise your hand. Not looking for verbal response. Just you in your own heart. Here's a question I have for you. And, and let me just preface real quick. This is a question for Christians. If you are here today and you are not a Christian, you're not walking with Jesus, firstly, I want to say thank you for being here. I'm so excited that you're here. Would love to talk with you afterwards. I hope that something I say today is of value to you. But this question right now is for Christians, the Christians in the house. Should Christians be sharing their faith? Should Christians be evangelizing, or what the world might call proselytizing? Now, I know it's kind of an awkward question when we've got a couple missionaries with us who are dedicated their lives to this, but should Christians be sharing their faith? The reason I ask this is because recent trends and recent statistics show me something I wasn't expecting. Nearly 50% of Christians in their 30s think that it's at least somewhat wrong to share their faith in hopes to see someone convert to Christianity. Those, that, that was 50% of Christians in their 30s. 51% of Christians do not know what the Great Commission is at all. More than half of Christians, if I asked them, what is the Great Commission, their response is, don't know, never heard of it. Only 17% of Christians have heard the Great Commission and can articulate what it is and what it means. 10%, only 10% of millennial churchgoers have even heard about the Great Commission. So here's the question. What is the Great Commission? Let's talk about that because apparently Christians are losing their grasp on what the Great Commission is. The Great Commission is literally the marching orders that Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the guy that we say we've given our life to, it is the final thing he told us to go and do before he returned to heaven. And he said, go and do this until I come back. And so just so that no one who attends Peace Church can say, I don't know what the Great Commission is, let's review it together. The Great Commission is the final words we see from Jesus. It's, it's captured in the Gospel of Matthew. Here it is, Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And then one of my, one of my most favorite phrases that Jesus Christ ever uttered. And behold... I am with you always to the end of the age. What is the Great Commission? It is what Christians should be doing. You know, or let's, let's, let's maybe update the language. Let's, let's use some language that's maybe a little bit more relevant 
to today. Maybe instead of the Great Commission, maybe we'd get more response if we called it the Great Mandate. At Peace Church, we've been taking the first few weeks of the fall to kind of recalibrate as a church. We've experienced a lot of change, a lot of growth. It's been great. God's blessing has been abundant upon this church. And so we're taking the first few weeks of the fall to kind of recalibrate some mission and vision language. So if you're checking out Peace Church, here's what I want you to know about this local church. We are gospel-centered, we are family-focused, and we are kingdom-minded. For us, all, re- all roads lead to the gospel. Everything we do is about presenting the gospel or paving a way to present the gospel. And we do this in a whole host of ways, but everything is gospel-centered. We are family-focused, not just because we believe the family is the bedrock of society, but because God holds family in a very prominent position. It is like the primary way that we're supposed to disciple the next generation is through families. And so we hold the family very important here. We, we invest a lot of ministry towards the family in marriages and parenting and youth. As you heard today, we've got an open house We're family-focused here, but we're also kingdom-minded, meaning we're not just about Peace Church. I love this church. I I love our logo. I love our lingo, but our objective is not to get the name of Peace Church out there. Our objective is to get the name of Jesus Christ out there. And so we've been taking the first few weeks to go over these. The first week we looked at gospel-centered. We're taking two weeks. We're on week two looking at kingdom-minded. Next week, we're going to look at what it means for us to be family-focused. And so the vision we have for our church, our vision, our picture of our desired future is this, is that we want to see the gospel embraced and passed on for generations of kingdom impact. That's kind of what we're working towards here. So let's see how our heartbeat and our vision line up to see the gospel embraced by all people everywhere on the planet, from your neighbor to people all the way in Indonesia. We want to see the gospel embraced, and we're gospel-centered to see that happen. But we also want to see this gospel passed on for generations and generations and generations. And this is why we're so heavily focused on family. But not just so that people can have a happy home. We want to see the gospel embraced and passed on for generations so that the kingdom can have impact in this world. That's, that's Peace Church. That's who we are. That's, that's kind of what we're working towards here. And as we've been trying to articulate this and unpack this, we've been following the Apostle Paul on his second missionary journey. So we're going to continue our sermon series called Where God Leads. Today we're going to talk about being kingdom-minded. This is our second part. I'm going to encourage you to turn to Acts chapter 17. Would you please start? Go to, let's go down to verse 16. We're going to read through verses uh, through 27. And if you're new and you're just catching up, let me catch you up to speed where we are at in the midst of this second missionary journey. So Paul and company, they, they head off from Jerusalem here. They're going to come up through Syria. They're going to swing around the Mediterranean Sea. They're going to head through Tarsus, Lystra, and Derby. They're going to pick up a young man named Timothy there. We're going to say, hey, they're going to come across this guy named Timothy. And we say, hey, we heard you're, you're kind of a powerful Christian. Why don't you come with us? And so I'll, he just up and leaves everything and joins a three-year missionary journey. Um, that's inspiring. And so they follow through what is modern-day Turkey. They called it Asia back then. If you remember from week one, they're like all over the place here. They don't know exactly where God's calling them to go. They're up and down. They're left and right. They don't know where they're going. God winds them up in Troas here. Paul gets a vision from a guy in Macedonia saying, come over to Macedonia. So they get direction for the vision, and they head over here. But I think a lot of us might have missed something really important about that call. See, when Paul got the Macedonian call, when Paul got the Macedonian call and he went over to what is modern-day Greece, 
What we see here is for the first time, we see the gospel leave the Middle East and head into Europe. The gospel, at this point, we see it going west. And that's pretty powerful. So they wind up in Philippi. Um, amazing things happen there. They head down, they start a church. They head down to Thessalonica. They also start a church, but the, the people there, they, there's a lot of people who don't like the church that was started. So they, there's a lot of conflict and chaos. There's a riot. But the church starts regardless. And so in the midst of all that chaos, they send our missionary group, Paul and company, they send them down to Berea. Guess what they do there? Start another church. So they start another church, but then people in Thessalonica hear about this, and they're still not happy. So a bunch of people start coming down from Thessalonica to cause more trouble in Berea. At that point, our missionary group, they decide, you know, let's, let's divide and conquer. So they split up, and Paul himself comes down to Athens, where he's going to wait for the rest of the group to join him later. And that's where we're going to pick up. Paul's in Athens. Let's see where he's at. Acts chapter 17, let's find, let's join him and see what he's doing. Would you hear the word of the Lord? Acts chapter 17. We're going to read verses 16 to 27. Hear God's word. Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, well, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because, look at these words here, because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Verse 19, and they took him and they brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears, and we wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Verse 21. Now all the Athenians, those in Athens, now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Verse 22. So Paul was standing in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For I passed along and observed the objects of your worship. I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet, he is actually not far from each one of us. Yeah, he's actually not far from each one of us. This is God's word, everyone. Let's pray. And let's get to it. Father God in heaven, Lord, as we seek to go where you lead, we only want to go where you lead. So Lord, we wish to follow your path and we ask that our hearts would be not led astray. Lord, we sang it today. Lord, our, our hearts are prone to wander. Lord, we feel it. So would your spirit intervene for us in our hearts that we would get back on the path to only go where you are leading. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would be with us now, attuning our hearts and our minds to your message to your truth, 
and nothing more and nothing less. And it's in Jesus' powerful name we pray these things. And everyone said, amen. Amen. So every message in the sermon series, uh, if you've been with us, you know this by now, three main points. We're going to look at the call of God. We're going to look at uh, our call as a specific local body here at Peace Church. And then we're going to look at your call, my call as individuals. What does God want of us? So let's first start with the call of God. What do we see in our passage here? I think when you, when you piece apart the passage we just looked at, I see four primary things I want to pick out today. And today is all about pursuing the lost. See, last week in our kingdom-mindedness, we talked about planting churches. Today, we want to talk about being kingdom-minded as we pursue the lost. So let's see what we pick up from our passage today. We pursue the lost because we are provoked in our soul. We pursue the lost because there's a people who are searching. We pursue the lost because we perceive things spiritually. And we, pers- uh, we pursue the lost because there's a people to be saved. So let's just start with the most basic observation real quick. Why do we use the term the lost? When we talk about those who are not believers in Jesus, who do not follow God, why do we call them the lost? Well, that's a great question. Let me clarify this. When we talk about people being lost, this has nothing to do with a person's intelligence or value as a human being. This is the term that Jesus used to speak of those who have not found the true God. That Jesus is the shepherd of the flock. And that he has come to seek and to save those who are not yet part of his flock because they are lost. And he has come to seek and to save them. And that is our job now until he returns. So that's why we use the term the lost. Because Jesus did. So, first point here. We pursue the lost because we are provoked in our soul. Going back to verse 16, when Paul's in Athens, the good book says that his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So when the Bible talks about the city was full of idols, that meant that there were literally like statues all over the place of various gods where people could go and bow and worship. But notice this, when Paul saw that this was happening, his heart did not burn with anger. His heart broke. His soul was provoked within him when he saw how lost people were and that they were giving their lives away to to meaningless statues. Paul was provoked in his soul. And I'm going to tell you right now, being provoked in our soul for a lost world, a world that does not know the love of God in Jesus Christ, to be provoked in our soul over this, that is one of the most Christ-like characteristics a person can have. In Matthew chapter 9, it says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Mark chapter 6, when Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. See, Jesus looked at the crowds and his heart broke. When you look at the world— Does your heart break or does it burn with anger? See, if if your heart is broken for the world, you will pursue the lost. But if your heart burns with anger, you will hate the lost. And only one path is the one that Jesus leads us down. We pursue the lost because we are provoked in our soul. We pursue the lost because there's a people who are searching you notice in our passage that as soon as Paul opens his mouth to teach them the scriptures, it elicits a response from everyone, from the philosophers, from the Jews, from everyone living there, from the foreigners. 
Because people were searching back then. And you know what? People are still searching. You know it and I know it. People are still searching. Except, I don't think we call it searching anymore. Do you know what I think we call it? We call it scrolling. Endless, mindless addiction to scrolling. And we keep flipping up our phones and we keep searching, we keep scrolling, ever looking, but never finding what we're looking for. And there are algorithms and people making millions of dollars to keep you doing that. People are still searching and they're not finding what they're looking for. It was so clear back then that people are searching. It's so clear that they're still doing it today. And we take this so seriously. We take this seriously because we perceive things spiritually. We know that we are spiritual creatures and everything we do, even online activity, has a spiritual component to it. Why in our spirit do we keep searching? Why in our spirit do we keep scrolling? Verse 22, let's go back to verse 22. It says, Paul was standing in the midst of the Areopagus, and he said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Let's just take a pause real quick. We're going to do a quick history lesson. Now, the Areopagus uh, is a Greek term. It means Ares Hill. Ares is the Greek name for the god of war. But the Romans, who spoke Latin, didn't call him Ares those with history lessons, what, what did they call him? Anybody? Mars. Mars. That's why sometimes you'll see this as the Areopagus, Ares Hill, or maybe some, a more common term, it's known as Mars Hill. The hill for the god of war. And this was a popular place where philosophers and people would come and while they're surrounded by idols, they would debate and chase after every new thing that was coming across their ears. Paul's standing here and they ask him about his message, and he looks around and he says, Y'all seem very religious up in here. And it kind of makes you wonder if, if Paul strolled through Middleville, Caledonia, if Paul strolled through West Michigan, what observations do you think he would make? Would he see idolatry? Now, some of you may be like, well, no, because we don't have idols. That doesn't mean we don't have idolatry. If Paul walked around our, our, um, our region, if Paul walked around West Michigan, imagine he walked around, spent a few months walking around West Michigan, then he came up here, stood on the stage at Peace Church, and he said, well, you know, people of West Michigan, I can see that you are very religious people. What do you think he would point to? Now, some of you might say, well, clearly he would point to the numerous church buildings around town. Well, you know, I mean, Paul didn't point to the synagogues when he made this call out at Mars Hill. What would he point to? See, Paul was in the marketplace. He was in the public sphere. He was in the place that people went to every single day of their lives. And he said to them, you are very religious people. What would he point to to make the same accusation about us? Would he point to the flags that we fly in our driveways? Would he point to the after-school clubs that our kids join? 
Would he look to the things that we are most committed to, the things that take up most of our time? Or what if, what if he didn't scroll around and he just got online and he just started scrolling through our social media accounts? I think for a lot of us, Paul would say, I'm looking at your social media account here. You seem like a very religious person. You seem to worship yourself. Paul looked at the people and said, you're very religious because Paul looked at what's happening and he saw something deeper. Paul perceived things spiritually and we need to do that as well. Church, this is a challenge for us. What is the spiritual reason we do the things that we do from online activity to the rallies we join to the thing we're doing right here, right now? Like what is the spiritual reason that we do these things? That is a phenomenal question for brunch later on today. Ask that around the dinner table. What? Hey, guys, what's, what's the spiritual reason that we do the things that we do? And just have an open, honest conversation about what is the spiritual drive? Is it led by the Spirit or is it led by the Spirit of the age? Which leads to our final point. If we, if we perceive things spiritually, then we look at the lost and we see a people to be saved. We pursue the lost because there's a people to be saved. Paul says here in verse 23, it says, I passed along and I observed the objects of your worship. I found also an altar with this inscription. It says, to an unknown God. And then Paul says, what therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. It's like Paul says, let's be honest here, guys. Let's be honest here, guys. You know you're searching for something, but you don't know what it is, do you? And so you keep scrolling. You know you're searching, but you don't know what you're looking for. And Paul says, I have found what you are searching for. That thing you keep scrolling for, I have found him. And his name is Jesus. So let your searching end. Let your scrolling end. Paul says, we were made for God to be with him. And until we have him, we will keep being lost. Until we find Jesus, we'll keep scrolling. Until we have the love of God in our life, we will keep searching. Paul says in verse 27 that people should seek God, perhaps even feel their way towards him and yet find him. But he is actually not far from each one of us. See, this searching, it can end now. You don't have to go out there. You don't have to look for the rest of your life. God is here with you now. He's not far from you. The search can be over today. The scrolling can end today. And it's found only in Jesus Christ. This is who Paul came to Athens to preach, Jesus and his resurrection. It's through faith in the sacrifice of Jesus for our sins and through the eternal life that we, found, that we find in his resurrection. That's how we're searching ends. That's how we are saved. We pursue the lost because there's a people to be saved and there's no other name in heaven or under heaven by which we are saved other than the name Jesus Christ. That without his salvation, we are lost to our sin. And because we are lost to our sin, we have nothing left to face but the judgment for those sins. And yet the cross of Christ covers our sin when we place our faith, our faith in him. He is the only one able to save. He's the only one able to provide that perfect atonement. You don't have to keep paying for your sins. You don't have to keep slaughtering lambs or pigs. He was slaughtered for us as the complete and final sacrifice for our sins. You cannot pay for your own sins. Only Christ can. And we place our faith in him. 
We find salvation. We find eternal life. We find a home because Jesus is building his church, and he has a calling on this local church, on Peace Church. Let's talk about this for a moment. Let's talk about our call as Peace Church. So last week we talked about planting churches as part of our kingdom-mindedness, that over the next year we want to begin to take steps to, to begin to plant and multiply out as a church. Today we want to continue that idea of being kingdom-minded as we talk about pursuing the loss. And what does that mean for here, for us here at Peace Church? And in the sermon series, we're taking time to talk about specific goals that God has for us. Let me lay out a few when it comes to pursuing the lost. Our call is to continue the Great Commission. Or what we might want to call today the Great Mandate. Our call is to continue this, to pursue the lost in this nation and all the nations. So let me talk about a couple ways we're going to continue to do this in the coming seasons as we at Peace Church continue to be more kingdom-minded. Let's first talk about global missions. I want to talk about three strategic important things that we're going to be doing as a church when it comes to the idea of global missions. Global missions. First thing we want to do is we want to increase our prayer and spotlight for our missionaries. I know that at times we maybe give them a passing reference in our congregational prayer. It's in one year, out the other. We as a church, we want to continue to hold up our, our global missionaries for your prayer and support on a more regular um, basis. We believe prayer is incredibly powerful. And I think as a church, we, we are only beginning to tap the power of prayer. We'll be spending more time in prayer for our missionaries and, and doing a better job at spotlighting them at important times. In the coming years, I want to see us increase our budgeted amount every year to go to global missions, both in terms of dollar amount and percentage amount. God is doing a great work throughout this entire globe, and we want to continue to give to be a part of it. We also want to increase our opportunities for global missions. That as a church, not all of us are sent to full-time global missions, but it doesn't mean we can't take time to go out and visit our missionaries or go to other places to see what God is doing and be a part of what he's doing both locally and globally. We're already talking about early stages for our trip next year. Um, I probably shouldn't tease you with that, but I'm going to be watching. We're going to be talking about it very, very soon. So those are just three ways as we move forward. We're going to continue to prayer and spotlight. We're going to give more and more every year, and we're going to continue to go, be a people that actually go. So that's global missions. Let me talk about local missions, or what we might call local outreach. Let's talk about all church initiatives. Let's, we're going to talk about small group investments and individual intentions. So at Peace Church, um, when we look at who we are and our size and our resources and our capacity, uh, when we look at all church initiatives, we realize that the idea of like everybody and their friends and family gathering to this location at one time is, is pretty hard to do. But that doesn't mean that we can't all come together and rally around the same thing at times. So as a church, there are going to be strategic times where we do an all-church push to do some sort of form of outreach, either in terms of sharing the love of Jesus or sharing the message of Jesus. But as we get bigger, one of the most powerful ways we continue to be effective is as we grow bigger, we do things in a smaller setting. So smaller groups. I'm talking about both our growth groups and our, and our like programs. We want to be resourcing our growth groups to do more outreach as a smaller unit. All of our programs, I've instructed them, you always have to be outreach-minded. You have to be outreach-oriented. Get out there and serve your community. Get out there and love your community. Be mindful of new people and non-believers as they walk into this facility. I want them to experience more love than they ever will out there. 
Smaller groups will be doing my, and just real quick, I think I got time. I, just one quick story. This was so cool. I heard of a group last, last winter, this, one of our growth groups, unprompted, undirected, they just did this of their own volition. They decided to get together and they went and shoveled driveways for people during the winter who, who didn't have the ability to do that themselves. And not only did they, do, did, did they do that, they then went and knocked on the door and said, hey, we did this because we love Jesus and we love to share his love. Can we tell you about him? Now that, I tell you right now, like, yes, yes. Don't wait to be told. Don't wait for someone else to put the logistics in place for you to do something. You go and do that. So let's talk about this at an individual intention. See, when we all do this individually, it is all the church doing this. I heard a lot of scoffing when I talked about the Great Commission and how little Christians are aware of it. This should be a challenge for us to actually go and do it. Not wait for the staff to devise an outreach event. Not wait for your growth group leader to get something put together. You, if you love Jesus, then you fulfill the great mandate and you go and share the love and message of Jesus with someone. I've said this before and I truly believe it. I believe the window is closing. The day is growing short. There's not much time left. I'm not going to guarantee you any more moments than the one we're living in. So capture it for Christ and do something for his glory. Global outreach, local outreach, both on the grand scale, but all church and also individually. So let's talk, let's continue that thought and talk about my call to answer. You heard what we're going to continue to do as a, as a church, but what about you? My call to answer. And um, let me just give this little um, preamble. I'm going to start to say something. And a lot of you, you're going to want to immediately get out your, your phone and start writing me an email. You can do that if you just let me finish what I have to say. We live in times where people are fired up, where people are riled up. And I'm not saying that's not without warrant. I've said before, and I was kind of saying it in jest, but I think it's also kind of serious, that the Great Commission is not the Great Suggestion. It's the Great Mandate. It's the great call of our Lord to go and share his message. This is what we are to be doing. This is what defines our lives. When you are, when, when you've accepted Christ, you are immediately set on mission. Here's what I want you to consider. Which mandate am I most concerned with? Which mandate am I most concerned with? See, I believe if Christians had been more concerned for the last 2,000 years with what Jesus commanded us to do, I'm not sure we'd be in the same spot that we're in right now. We might be in a different spot. Listen, listen to these stats. Only four in 10 Christians say that they go to church every week. Four in 10. Four in 10 Christians say they go to church every week. Christianity is declining in America, and it has been for a while, and it's only getting steeper. Right now in America, less than half the adults in America identify as Christian. 70% of the youth will leave the faith after high school, and when asked why, lo and behold, it's because they'll look back and say that faith and church attendance was not a priority for their home. 
the annual income globally of evangelical Christians, I'm not talking about Catholics, I'm not talking about mainline, the global annual income of evangelical Christians is $7 trillion. That should blow your ever-loving mind. Our problem is that we don't have, our problem is not that we don't have enough money. Our problem is that we're keeping too much of it to ourselves. Seven trillion dollars globally. Yet in America, Christians give as much to the church as what the general public spends on Christmas, which they less and less believe is an actual miracle. Did you hear that? We give as much to the church as what the pagans give to a holiday they don't even believe in. Less than 1% of Christian giving goes to global missions. Of $7 trillion? I'm sorry, church, like the stats are not in our favor right now. The world has every right to look at us and say, you don't even believe your own message. Seven trillion dollars. And we give less than 1% to global missions. This is why at Peace Church, I want to begin to change that. You know, the number one question, I mean, when I first started at Peace Church, I mean, and I, and I was the leader of the membership class, I mean, for the first five years, the number one question I'd get in membership is, what is, your, what is our policy on tithing? And I would say, Probably at least 70% of that question is, how little do I have to, how little can I give and still be a member? Like, Christians, we should be asking, like, how much more can I give? I mean, like, how much more can I give? We, we got $7 trillion to play with. Am I fired up about this? Yeah, because I think this is what we should be riled up and fired up about. But the world's looking at us, and they, they're seeing all of our efforts and our passions going to other places, and we, we may be, some of us have the good-heartedness that this does spring from our faith, but I think for a lot of us, it comes from a spirit of rebellion. The other day, I went garage sale shopping because in West Michigan, that's what we do in our free time. <laughs> and, I, and I walked up to this, uh, this guy's yard, and he had like all these, it was, it was a great, great one. I'm not going to tell you where it is because I'm going to go back. But he had this, he had this white sign. There's a white sign in his yard and, and red letters that said, no mandate. I looked at the sign, I looked at this guy, looked back at the sign, I pointed to it, and I gave him a thumbs up. There's my cards. Now you know where I stand on it. Yep. But you know what? As I look at these stats, and I look at my own heart, do you know what I begin to think? We've got that very same sign on our souls. I'll take Jesus, but I'm not going to take your mandate. I got no mandate policy in my life. Doesn't matter if it's from the government. Doesn't matter if it's from the Lord Jesus himself. No mandate here. That, that's not how it works for us, church. We, we were given our primary mandate 2,000 years ago. And we've got one life to live, to live into it. I am challenged. I want you to be challenged. And I want you to go to a deep time of prayer about what this means for us moving forward. Nine times out of ten, we will close our time in prayer, uh, in song, but today we're going to close our time in prayer. Jesus Christ said that we could gain the whole world and yet still lose our soul. 
Did you hear that? We can gain the whole world and still lose our soul. We can win the mandate debate and still lose our soul. We need to put his mandate first. I am not saying you don't engage in a good fight for the good of our community. But I am saying that the number one passion should be from the Lord. We need to make the Great Commission the mandate that we're most concerned with. Look at our world. Jesus Christ is the only answer. He is the only way out of this mess. It's not a mandate. It's not, a, it's not masks. It's not Biden. It's not Trump. Jesus is the only way out of this. We're not going to get out of this by changing laws. We'll get out of this by changing hearts. And he's the only answer to that. That's what we need to be working towards. Change the hearts of those towards Christ and you'll see a culture transformed. He's the only way to make change. Church, our king has given us a call and it's time to answer by making that our primary passion. I will confess to you, it hasn't been mine. I'll confess to you right now, my very first call to our local superintendent was not about sharing the gospel with him. I wish it would have been. I want you to see it in my life. I want to see it in the life of this church. That the Great Commission is the mandate that we take most seriously. The world is hurting and broken and divided right now. And we need to be spending as much time on our knees as we are online. Maybe even more so.